Good morning. Uh, most of you know me already, um, but if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is James Rep. I'm an elder candidate here at Cross Point Coast. And uh, Joyce and I have, uh, we've been here for a little more than five years, or just about, yeah, about five and a half years. And one of the things that we have had the joy of seeing here at Cross Point Coast is the gracious generosity uh, taking place in the body. And this is a work of the Spirit. I know it is because I know that you, like me, by nature, without, without the work of the Spirit, would not pursue gracious generosity or sacrificial giving. Um, it's just not who we are. In ourselves and by ourselves, we are greedy people. In our own nature, that's who we are without the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about greed. I'm excited to be a part of this summer's uh, series entitled The Fight for Joy. Walking in victory over the patterns of sin. And as we're doing so, we're focusing particularly on what are known as the seven deadly sins or seven deadly follies as we are calling them. Sins of gluttony. Envy, pride, lust, wrath, laziness, and greed. I think we're six weeks in now. I have ke trouble keeping track. Six or seven, five, don't know. Okay, I don't, and I don't want us to lose sight of what we're talking about in this series. So I'm actually going to recap a little bit of what we talked about in the introduction to this series. It's, it's easy for us to begin to, to look at a list of capital sins like these. And we, we recollect the ways in which we have fallen prey to them. Our inclination might be to begin to think of ways that we can do better. Strategies of self-improvement at making ourselves wise, that, as if we could commend ourselves to God as righteous. So one of the things that we learned in the introduction, that God's command in Mark chapter 12, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For the believer is not a command of cumbersome obligation, but it is an invitation to find joy in our Father's good provision for his children. For the believer in Jesus Christ, we have seen that the gospel has provided not merely a second chance at getting it right. That's not the good news of the gospel. And instead, that our God has provided the perfect righteousness of Jesus for us to walk in that joy. Our response is to walk in the joy of God's good provision for us. I want to quote Pastor Jeremiah in his introduction to this series that the fight to obey that command to love God with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is not a fight for self-righteousness. It's a fight for joy in Christ. Do you remember the picture that was painted for us in Proverbs chapter 9? In the introduction, we the simple ones are being called by both lady wisdom and lady folly. 
by Lady Wisdom to partake in the good provision that she has labored to provide for her guests, and by Lady Folly to partake of stolen bread and water, which leads to destruction. Notice again that Lady Folly's offering is not only stolen, but it is a weak and watered-down substitute for the lavish and substantial provision that Lady Wisdom offers those who enter her house. Is this not true of all of these seven deadly follies? Each of them is a twisted and weak substitute for the things that God has provided his people. A counterfeit of the good and beautiful things that he has given us in Christ Jesus. Too often, church, we believe the lie. We believe the lie that God's way is confining and restricting. This is a lie, and we believe it far too readily. C.S. Lewis is very helpful here. He says in his book, The Weight of Glory, that it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Our desires aren't too strong. They're too weak and misdirected. John Piper is uh, fond of quoting Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How we view this is a good diagnostic for our hearts. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe that fullness of joy is found in what God has provided? Or do we stubbornly persist in the belief that we know a better way, that our way will bring us greater happiness and fulfillment? Today we're going to be looking at the folly of greed, and our anchor text comes from Proverbs chapter 1. So if you would turn there with me, Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 8 to 19. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood, and they set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your good provision for your people. God, we ask this morning that you would incline our hearts to you. God, that uh, as we consider what your word has to say to us about greed, God, that you would be at work in us, that your spirit would have its uh, perfect work in us, conforming us to the image of Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> much uh, like much of the book of Proverbs, um, this proverb is King Solomon's instruction for his son who would reign after him. Now, this is not merely wise instruction, uh, but this is God's word for us. And we would do well to pay close attention to it. Now, much like the contrast of Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, Solomon here makes the case for his son to hear his instruction and to not forsake his mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and a pendant for your neck, he says. It's often difficult for us um, as parents to convince our children that our instructions would be a graceful garland, a crown of beauty for their heads. Um, and we, like our children, are stubborn as well, and we uh, buck against instruction often. Rather than being restrictive and confining, this instruction is to keep his son from harm and to be a blessing to him. In contrast, the way of the greedy leads to death. The instruction is not complicated. It's a dire warning. Don't be enticed by those who would seek to draw you into murder and robbery for the sake of greed. The consequences are self-destruction. Not a complicated concept. But what does it mean to be greedy? What is greed? Is it synonymous with wealth? Uh, if I have a desire to work hard and provide well for my family, what if, I, what if God has blessed me with a good job that pays really well? Does that equate to greed? What if I invest in the stock market? Does that automatically mean that I am driven by greed? So this is how we're going to spend our time this morning. I'd like for us to look first at the questions of what is greed? What is its nature? Then more importantly, I'd like us to consider what is greed a twisted counterfeit of? Or for the grammarians in the room, what, of what is greed a counterfeit? I think that's right. In other words, what has God provided that we have twisted in our greed into idolatry? And finally, what is the gospel's response to greed? So what is greed? There are some in the culture of the West who would not only say that greed is a good thing, that it is the driving force uh, behind capitalism, they would go so far as to even say that uh, greed is a virtue. Others, in reaction to this extreme view, swing so far in the other direction as to say that individual wealth itself is greed. It wouldn't be far wrong to say that Western culture, by and large, is obsessed with having wealth, with gaining more and more possessions and more and more wealth. We're driven to buy the next new thing. Whether it's a new car, a new house, 
a new cell phone, the latest smartwatch, or any host of things ready available to us on Amazon to be delivered to our door in a day or two. <clears throat> the culture of greed is alive and well in the West. This is why marketing and advertising is such big business. I know I'm a marketing professional. It's okay, I do marketing for a Christian company. It's totally different. Marketers understand, though, that if they can appeal to your desires, if they can convince you that whatever it is that they're selling, that you can't live without it, that you have to have it now, they know that they've got you. And at that moment, greed has gripped your heart. I can almost hear Lady Folly calling out to those passing by, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. We swim in a cultural worldview of consumerism in which the consumer is sovereign over his own reality. What we consume is essential to who we are. Carl Truman, in his work, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, wrote, but indeed, the underlying dynamic of the consumer marketplace is that desires can never be fully satisfied, at least not in any long-term manner. The consumer society really does present persons whose being is in their becoming, constantly looking to the next purchase that will bring about that elusive personal wholeness. Now, I want us to be careful here. It's really easy for us to look at greed in the culture. And it's there. It's easily seen. But when we look at greed in the culture, we can begin to think that greed is something out there, something external. And while it's true to say that our culture is steeped in greed and that marketing industry takes advantage of this, this is not how the Bible speaks of it. As with any of these sins, Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Sin is an overflow of our own hearts, our nature, passed down to us from our first parents, is to rebel against God, to say that I will do this on my own, that I will provide for myself. I know what is best for me and what will bring me lasting satisfaction. Our proclivity toward greed is not something from without. It is from within. Now, Jesus said this in response to the Pharisees' uh, accusation that the disciples were eating with unwashed hands. Now, this wasn't about cleanliness. He wasn't, they weren't concerned about the disciples uh, accidentally consuming a bacteria or a virus. Uh, but the point was that of spiritual cleanliness, about being spiritually defiled. Sin or uncleanliness is not a result of the external thing coming in that defiles. Rather, it is the condition of the heart and the sin that comes from it that defiles. The problem isn't our culture. 
It is a problem to deal with. But the main problem isn't our culture. It's our own hearts. The same Solomon who wrote our passage in Proverbs today wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. He said, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Again, we see something that is birthed in the heart and grows into a restless desire. It's important to note that this desire will never be satisfied. Not by greed. First Timothy, Paul gives us a very clear warning against greed. He said in First Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Pink Floyd got it wrong. Money isn't the root of all evil. It is the love of money, a craving for more and more that results in all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that many have wandered away from the faith. This should be a dire warning to us. We should take heed. Christian, we have to pay attention to what God's word is telling us here. Now, the Bible isn't silent on the issue of greed. Uh, The church, though, has labored to provide a succinct and clear definition of exactly what greed is. The first thing we can note is that greed is synonymous with covetousness. Um, This has led to the following definition of greed by Rebecca DeYoung and many others who would agree with her, that greed is an excessive love or desire for money or any possession. An excessive love or, excuse me, an excessive love of or desire for money or any possession. It's a good starting point at a definition. It's a good start. Um, But I do believe we need to dig a little bit deeper into this. Um, What does it mean for me to have an excessive love of money or possessions? It means, for one, that I believe that having or obtaining that money or that thing will make me happy, that it will bring satisfaction to my soul. This, then, is an issue of the affections of the heart. Brian Hedges, in his book on these same seven deadly sins, said that the scripture locates the problem of greed in the inordinate desire, excuse me, inordinate affections of our hearts rather than in money or possessions per se. This means that you can have a greed problem even if you don't have a lot of money. The issue is not what you possess, but what possesses you. The greed then is a powerful desire of seeking to find ultimate joy and happiness in something other than God. Another facet of what greed is uh, and its nature that Paul said in Colossians 3 verse 5, he said, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, 
impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. And because greed is synonymous with covetousness, that in breaking this 10th commandment to not covet, we've also broken the first. Not having a God before the one true God. Greed is the sin that overflows from our hearts when we fail to trust in the goodness of God to provide what we need. And when we believe the lie that says that what God has provided will not satisfy, that it's not enough, that something else will. God provided every tree in the garden for man's sustenance. But the temptation that caused man to fall was that the one tree that was forbidden, that that would be the thing that would bring happiness, that it would satisfy man's soul. Greed, like lady folly, promises that it will satisfy you, but it is an empty pit. Greed is a devourer. It cannot be satisfied with anything less than destroying you. Like all sin, the more ground is given way to it, the more it wants. Its goal is never to just stumble you a little. Its goal is to consume you, to destroy you as completely as you can. You are no longer the consumer in that scenario. You are the product to be consumed. Now, this is saying very little about the, the sins that flow out of greed. And that's what Paul was talking about in Timothy. Um, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. The end of pursuing greed is destruction. And Solomon, in his instruction to his son, we saw in verse 18, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Once greed has captured a person's heart, they will do just about anything to satisfy that hunger. Whatever is the object of your greed, the temptation is to push more and more, to get more and more of that object till you are willing to do things that you would never have previously thought that you would uh, be capable of. What must we do? It's a whole lot of bad news. The thing that greed is a counterfeit of is the good provision of God. Contentment and trust in his provision. He is good, church. If there's one thing that I could impress upon us more than anything else this morning is the goodness of God. That his provision is good, soul-satisfying provision of God for his people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and 26, he said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look, a, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This is the way of the kingdom of God. We need not be anxious and stress about our physical needs. I want to consider again the verse we looked at 
in Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Even in the Garden of Eden, the path of righteousness was to trust in God's good provision. God promises us that it is in his presence that we will find ultimate joy and true soul-satisfying pleasure. To look elsewhere is the nature of all sin and greed in particular. This is why we call them the seven deadly follies. They are follies, not levity, foolishness. It is sheer folly that we would abandon the good gifts of our Heavenly Father and pursue these lies that tell us that they will satisfy our souls. They cannot. And even when we know that they cannot, we still pursue them. At this point, we often want five easy steps to not be greedy. A new law that we can command, uh, commend ourselves to God as not greedy. But even in this, we're looking to something other than God to solve the problem. This dilemma can't be solved by something that we do. We've already seen that greed flows out of our own hearts. So how are we going to solve the problem ourselves? Do we think that we can earn God's favor by our own efforts at obeying the law? Church, the solution to the greed problem to our greed problem, is not ourselves. It's not in our promises to do better this next week. Greed is not some external thing that we can just try to avoid. It comes from within. And it's not something we can easily see in someone else. Uh, though we are prone to justify ourselves in doing so, greed, the greed problem is not the big house. It's not a collection of the latest gadgets or cool things that we pursue. It resides in the heart. It's a substitute for the beauty and soul-satisfying goodness of God in Christ. Stuff and money. So what are we to do? How do we deal with this way of thinking? If God promises us that it is in his presence that we will find true joy, lasting satisfaction for our souls, then it is only by faith in Jesus Christ, for only by faith in him are we able to be in the presence of God. And pray earnestly. I want to pray earnestly for us that, that God would be our greatest treasure, that he would be our great reward that we would pursue. It is in Christ that we are seated with him in the heavenly places, this is the believer's reality and having faith, walking with him in that, being enamored with his grace. God is good. He has provided everything that we need. Christ Jesus being chief among them. Faith in Jesus is not merely the solution to our religious corner of our lives. He is faithful to provide everything we need in the totality of life. 
And as God, the Holy Spirit, changes our affections to delight and joy in him, we will find satisfaction for our souls. We will find satisfaction for our souls in him and the good things that he has provided. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, we thank you for your word. God, we ask that by your spirit, God, you would help us to recognize when greed begins to grip our hearts and that we would turn to the soul-satisfying goodness of God in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we ask that... um, you would change our affections. God, that you would be at work in us by your spirit, that we would delight in you, that we would recognize how good you have been to us in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.